Hi, I'm Aria Evans, the Artistic Director of Political Movement, a dance theater company that makes work from a social and political lens. And this is The D Word. I am back for season three, and we have some incredible guests lined up to talk about this year's theme, science and the mind. How do ideas like curiosity, embodied physics, and shifting trauma through movement influence or interact with the work of dance artists? Well, we're going to dive into those conversations right now. This episode, Danny S. Bassett and Perry Zern are calling in. Danny and Perry are the authors of the book Curious Minds, The Power of Connection, published in 2022 by MIT Press. Danny is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania with appointments in the departments of bioengineering, electrical and systems engineering, physics and astronomy, neurology, and psychiatry. Perry is an associate professor in American University's Department of Philosophy and Religion and affiliate faculty in the Department of Critical Race, Gender, and Culture Studies. Fun fact, they're also identical twins. In their book, they outline three styles of curiosity, including the busybody, the hunter, and the dancer. They've also identified 18 more models of curiosity. Today, they are here to talk about curiosity and what their research can mean for dance artists. Danny and Perry, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. To start us off, can you briefly describe your book to our listeners? Sure. Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. <laughs> this is a book, um, this is our first book together. Danny and I had a unique opportunity to write, and, and we hope we get to write more in the future. Um, but we came together from really disparate fields. Danny works primarily in neuroscience, and I work primarily in philosophy. Um, but we were both studying issues of, you know, what what is curiosity, and what is what does it mean to learn? What does it mean to question? What does it mean to imagine? And we thought, you know, it would be really powerful if we could get the resources of both of our fields together <laughs> on the page and see what see what happened. Um, so that is that is in fact what what Curious Minds does. It tries to understand curiosity and and our, all of our curious minds um, from a new perspective and a new vantage point. And that is through this power of connection. Most of the time, curiosity is understood as a capacity to acquire new information. Right? You Google something, you get an answer. But we really think that at the bottom of curiosity is a capacity to make connections, connections between ourselves, between ideas, um, between ourselves and our world, um, and, and societies kind of across, across nations. There's curiosity is this capacity to build connections. And that's, that's the idea we want to propose with the book. And what a beautiful way to bring like two versions of the ideas behind curiosity together. That's such a like incredible way to think about co-authoring a book. Um, I know that you two grew up together <laughs> and I'm wondering if from your own disciplines, what led you to, to both being curious about curiosity from your different perspectives? Yeah, I think that in part we were driven by shared experiences as kids um, growing up homeschooled uh, by our mom. And she provided us with this learning experience where we were, um, we played a really key role in determining what it was that we wanted to learn. And then she would develop curriculum around our interests. And so I think we grew up 
um, valuing and and searching for um, the freedom to ask the questions that we wanted to ask. So curiosity was kind of built into the way that we lived our lives, I think. And so I think that in part, that certainly drove us to continue to ask questions throughout our lives about um, how it is that humans more generally are curious and how we are curious together with one another. Hmm. Did you ever sense the parallels and the differences between how you were curious in your upbringing? I think there were some, there were certainly some similarities, some parallels. I think that we're both pretty nerdy um, <laughs> and have been for most of our our lives, and um, that that showed up in all kinds of ways, right? We were really the we were the rabbit hole kids. I mean, that, that is, Hmm. that is the case. And, and often we would go down such rabbit holes that, um, we knew not everyone would be interested in what we had to say, but the other one probably would. Right. So we, and we still do this today. So we're, we come up with something in our research that's just sort of off, off the beaten track. And, you know, the people we collaborate with or our friends or our partners, we're like, oh, I don't know how much they'll care about this, but we'll shoot each other an email or a text and, and we know that the other it'll light up the other person's face. Yeah, it sounds like there's a nice kind of synergy between uh, the two of you, which is like beautiful to witness also in your writing. In this book, you identify three styles of curiosity, the busybody, the hunter, and the dancer. Can you walk me through these styles starting with the busybody? Sure. The busybody is someone who is interested in all kinds of things. Um, And it it could be that any one of us is a busybody most of the time, but it could also be that uh, each of us is a busybody sometimes, right? When we're interested Mm -hmm. in all kinds of things, we have... um, a bunch of tabs open on our on our computers or our phones or something like this, and or we're asking a lot of questions of all the people we meet. Um, whereas the hunter is someone who's much more focused and tends to really zero in on one thing they like to know a lot about. You know, they might hmm. be very dedicated to kind of expertise in their specific area, and they don't really like to try new things or um, branch out beyond that. And then there's the dancer. Yes, the dancer, <laughs> and um, this is someone who is really needs to be creative in their curiosity. So this person, when they're asking questions, um, they want to be making at the same time. They want to be imagining at the same time. So what if I put two and two together, what happens? What if I understand this from this perspective and bring in this resource or this concept or this thing I heard or this you know idea that's just flashed into my mind or this piece of poetry I read last night that has no relation? Right. What if I throw that in here? What does it look like then? You know, can I get somewhere new in my my idea space that way? So the, the dancer has to be creative in and through their curiosity. It's so interesting to hear you talk about like making and imagining at the same time. It's I mean, being a dancer myself, being somebody who like innately approaches the world from that perspective it's beautiful to see it actually so clearly articulated but then to also understand that curiosity draws from all of the different uh like curiosity styles that we we don't necessarily have just one way of going but to put language to something is such a useful skill for us Uh, I wasn't actually anticipating on asking this question, but is there a style of curiosity that the two of you resonate with from all of the ones that you've sort of um, articulated and 
determined, deciphered? I think that it's interesting to think about what kinds of curiosity we have, what kinds of curiosity we um, encourage in ourselves, and what kind of curiosity has been encouraged in us by the particular training that we have pursued in our scholarly disciplines. And I think in the context of science and, and physics specifically, which is where my training is, um, I think that the hunter-like curiosity is the most valued of the three. And so I do feel like that is a very key streak <laughs> in myself, um, in, in part because it is heavily trained. I also, however, think that the other two kinds of curiosity um, are present in my life in other places. Um, so when I uh, read books for pleasure, I am much more of a busybody. I go from philosophy to nature um, writing to poetry to um, queer theory to whatever it is that I'm excited about um, on that day or week. And the dancer-like curiosity, I think, is something that also comes out um, at different points, uh, particularly when I am trying to close up a research project and understand how what I've discovered or what my students have discovered can impact and change other fields around me. Um, so I think that that's, that's something that, that comes in and out too at different points. Carrie? Yeah, I would say um, both of us, I think, do have this busybody tendency in that we're really interdisciplinary. We're not very good at staying in our lane um, with respect to our research, but really with respect to anything. Um, so I think I think we're improvisational in relationship to our methods too. The, the, the kind of methods we're supposed to use in our fields aren't the ones we limit ourselves to. Um, and we tend to sort of try a lot of other stuff out that we see, that we hear from other places. Um, so I say busybody, certainly. Hunter, yeah, I think scholars are well-trained uh, mm -hmm. to focus and to, and to perform um, expertise around a very small area of, of knowledge. Um, but then the dancer, yeah, for me, I love writing. For me, writing is a creative space, an absolutely creative space. And for me, the, the page, the blank page, is a, is a place where I get to ask questions creatively, where I get to create by inquiring. And, and that relationship between curiosity and cre creativity for me is always, always there in the moment of writing. I also wonder if it's kind of interesting to think about our mom, actually, in the context of these three styles, too. So she, when she went to college, um, she was on a dance scholarship. So um, dance was something that was one of her um, key loves. And I think thinking about that in the context of the kind of education that she provided us, I think that she um, was very she created a space for us. She created a kind of education by reading very eclectically, more like a busybody, around educational practices and pedagogies, um, and then um, hunting down particular kinds of literatures for us to read or resources for us to um, engage with. And, and by doing so, offered or created this uh, educational experience that was really unique. Um, so, and yeah, it's interesting to think both about her physical movements and um, what she did in creating the educational space for us. It segues perfectly into my next curiosity, which is how the dancer style was modeled after the sort of relationship that you have to the artistic form and hearing that there is such a personal relationship to movement and dance in your household is so fascinating. 
Yeah, and and the the term dancer as as the term for this third style of curiosity really came from um well all the styles came from just looking back at at um thousands of years of history of people describing curious people. How do curious mm. people behave? What do they look like? What do they do? And a lot of times they'll use the language of dance as if this is someone who dances on the page. This is someone who dances with ideas. This is someone, you know, dances mm. in the mind. Um Sometimes you'll see curiosity with respect to actual dancers, you know, um, but uh, but it's but it's a broader kind of term and metaphor, and and so the language of dance comes up, and especially the language of leaping. So the word mm. leap was really important for this particular archive of descriptions, and I thought, well, you know, who leaps, you know, with imagination? I ca I couldn't actually think of people other than dancers who leap with imagination. Uh, so it's that was a, that was another valence that was important for the characterization. In the interviews that you've done for your book, you've talked about being raised with an interdisciplinary approach to learning that has been integrated into your research and writing. And for me, this also taps into the creative process of dance and the interdisciplinary tools that we use to make connections between things for audiences, this idea of leaping. And I'm curious, like, why you believe that interdisciplinary models are important for curiosity? I think... Maybe I can speak from the, the science perspective and then maybe Perry, if you have additional things to add from, from your world. But I think that interdisciplinarity in science is a is very, is so generative. It is a place or a, a pattern or practice of moving in conceptual spaces that allows for us to connect really disparate pieces of information or to look at the same kind of data, but from a different perspective or with a different methodology. Um, it's that that viewing of data from different perspectives that is allowed um, by interdisciplinarity is something that we're even training artificial agents to do. So, for example, there are techniques like uh, that are called multi-view learning, which is where you look at a a object, a complex system, a data set from multiple different views, and then you combine those together, you connect them up together in a way um, that allows us to understand the system more um, more thoroughly and also more deeply and, and in a way that is more interpretable to humans. And I think if we take that idea into our broader experience, you know, when we have an interdisciplinary perspective on understanding one another, right, where we're not engaging with one another simply from our own histories or simply from the I, what we know about psychology or cognitive science or simply what we know about um, experience or simply what we know about uh, the skills that each of us has, then we are able to engage with one another in a way that, um, that honors the complexity of each human um, and, and allows us to produce these deeper understandings of each other in a way that can, I think, not only be satisfying for each of us, but also build the meshes of a social connection that will um, produce, can produce change in our world. Yeah, and for me, I think 
and this is true across, I think, our disciplines, but also certainly into practices like like dance, um, that we can get humans can get stuck uh, <laughs> when when we sort of have a specific thing that we do in a specific way over and over again, and this is the tradition, or this is the practice, or this is the habit, whatever it is. Um, and it be- can not only become stuck, but it can become, um, you know, we, we use kind of the language of policing, but it, it can be mm. it can be limiting. And sometimes um, people who try to get beyond that thing are sort of punished or denigrated or not treated as doing the serious work of whatever philosophy, science, dance, you know. <laughs> um, and so there's something interdisciplinary. Interdisciplinarity for me is just one of the practices that allows us to experiment with the limits, the boundaries of whatever our practices are in our mm-hmm. fields and say, hey, maybe we can we can try a different form. We can try a different shape. We can try a different practice. We can try a different affect, whatever it is. Um, and in that way, we keep the thing alive, really. I think the more, the more that people kind of zero in on, no, this is what we do and this is how we do it, it kills it eventually. <laughs> yeah. uh, so th- th- living, like living, breathing human enterprises, try new things. And interdisciplinarity is just one way to try new things for each of the, the fields, I think. It's so interesting to hear you both talk about like the ideas of humanity getting stuck inside of things or like as individuals we get caught up and it's hard to find a way forward and you've both in a way talked about the idea of change or the idea of hope or the idea of moving forward and I may be projecting but was that one of the uh, desires in writing this book to communicate with audiences? Yeah we have what is our dedication it's to children who Danny, you have it on the tip of your tongue, I'm sure. To all the children who have questioned whether it needs to be this way. Yeah. And I think, so for us, I think that's really personal. Yeah, I think that we were in a place of stuckness and in a place of pretty um, dramatic restriction at points in our lives um, based on our social context. And curiosity is one of the things that... um, one of the kernels of hope, one of the kernels of change that I think we held on to and that led to um, more open spaces for us where we could breathe a little bit more deeply. Uh, and so I do think that it's there is a something really deep about the message of the book for us. Um, not that we came, you know, not that we came up with curiosity can do this, but that it matters to us that curiosity yeah. can do this. And we want we want to talk to other people about that. Hmm. From that place of like curiosity being a kernel for change do you think curiosity as a trait can be honed yeah absolutely i mean the way that we think about curiosity is not something that is you know innate in each of us or or um, at a particular level or even that we can quantify the amount of curiosity in a person in a really meaningful way instead we think about curiosity as a practice it is something that we can consciously engage in um, throughout the day or over different time periods, weeks, months, years. And we can ask ourselves, um, how, how do we practice curiosity? How do we learn to practice curiosity differently? How do we notice the kind of curiosity that's present in our friend or in our child or in a mentor? And as we notice those different kinds of curiosity, we can ask ourselves, what parts of that practice that we observe in them do we want to take in to become part of our practice? Um, And so that's something that I think 
allows us to think about curiosity as something that can not only grow, but also change um, in the, its nature uh, as we think more about um, the practices that we have. Because the dance work that I make is often socially and politically engaged, and I'm interested in how you see the relationship between social awareness and curiosity and the values that we can implement into exploring curiosity. But I'm curious if you have made links between uh, social awareness and curiosity in your research. Yeah, I do. We, we do some of this work in, in our book, but I certainly did more of it in uh, my previous book, which was called Curiosity and Power. Hmm. Um, and in that book, one of the things that I try to explore is, well, curiosity's role in political resistance movements at all. So a lot of the ways in which political resistance movements have been understood is as offering answers. Hey, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way, you know? Um, but I try to make the case that, no, I mean, political resistance movements, especially from marginalized communities, are deeply curious enterprises. They're constantly trying to say, well, what really is wrong and how would we fix it? And what does it mean to relate to each other differently without whatever these, you know, structures of racism and sexism and, and ableism and classism are, right? What, what does that even look like? We have to explain that we have to together ask those questions um, because we haven't had a whole lot of help <laughs> otherwise. So, so I mean, so curiosity is fundamental to these kind of um, movements for social change and, so, and social justice. But I also spend some time right at the end of the book thinking about how does what does that mean for how curiosity might happen differently. So, curiosity sometimes is a has been has been a desire for new information where you simply again you just sort of get the new information from whoever it is that has it and you don't really think about the relationship that you have to that to that person or to that place or to that culture or whatever um so i think if you really want to I'm interested in changing what curiosity looks like and how we practice it and and one of those ways is deeply embedding curiosity in relationship admitting mm. that we are always re- in a relationship with what we want to know about and who we want to know about and who we want to know with. Um, so then what does the, how does that recharacterize what curiosity looks like? How we, how we actually ask the question and what questions we actually ask or which questions we let stand. And we say, you know what? I don't need to know everything. And it's in this context that I, I talk a little bit about opacity and ambiguity. Um, what does it mean to embrace a curiosity that allows for ambiguity, that says, you know what, I don't have to like sort it out and make sure I know exactly what box to put you in or to put this piece of information in. Um, or a, a curiosity that's comfortable with opacity. You know what, the, the thing I want to know or the person I want to know doesn't want to be known. Okay. <laughs> Just okay. You know, those, those are some of the things that I try to work out in the earlier book. Uh, I'm curious because you you have a parent who has a relationship to dance and most of our viewership have some relationship to dance, whether they are dancers themselves or dance is a big part of their life. If you were to give this book to them, what would you hope that uh, they would receive from it? I think I would love uh, for them to come away from reading the book feeling that the sort of freedom and fluidity and structure of their body movements is also present in their mind and to sort of be Mm. able to, to feel their mind moving 
in ways that are reminiscent of how it feels when they move their body. Um, so I think I would hope that they could, yeah, that they could get this, this sense or be sensitized to what mental movements feel like. Um, yeah, I would just underscore, I would love dancers to help us think about that, about the dance, the dance that happens in our minds, the way we move with, with and between and among concepts and together with other beings who have concepts of their own. There's something happening there that's not simply building blocks, right, or plugging holes of like, this is the information we need here. There's something so much more dynamic, and I think dance is one of the few um, movements that we've turned to that that really help illuminate that space and we need we need y'all's help actually <laughs> i'm glad there's reciprocity <laughs> uh perry where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more about your work my website is www.perryzern.com um and i'm also on twitter at perryzern and what about you danny my website is www.dannysbassett.com and I'm also on Twitter at Danny S. Bassett. That's our show. The D Word is presented by Dance Made in Canada, a contemporary dance festival featuring Canadian dance artists who possess unique artistic visions and come from all cultural backgrounds. This year, Dance Made in Canada presents in-person programming featuring artists from across Canada in our main stage, WYSIWYG, dance on film and video, installation and photography exhibition at the Betty Oliphant Theatre in Toronto from August 16th to August 20th. Dance Made in Canada's co-festival directors are Janelle Rainville and Jeff Morris. Yvonne Ng is the artistic director and also co-festival director. The D Word is produced by Grace Elliott with Taylor Young. Our editor and composer is Jamar Powell, our sound engineer is Chris Dupuis at 1990 Studios. And I'm your host, Aria Evans. Thank you to Canadian Heritage, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ontario Arts Council, and Toronto Arts Council for making The D Word possible. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to rate and review. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.